I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by George McDonough, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Digital Assets Investor and Venture Capital Firm KR1. You specialize in early-stage blockchain and decentralized finance investments, working towards Web3 infrastructure. I'm going to start at a very basic level, bearing in mind we have an audience, not of technologists mostly. What do you mean when you say Web3 infrastructure? What started with Bitcoin was this ability for computers to come together to agree on the state of a ledger outside of the control of any particular centralized actor. And what's happened since that uh, technology sort of first came to popularity is a so a huge Cambrian explosion of experimentation. And it has brought forward a, a range of, of networks that are built off this sort of underlying fundamentals, but have expanded out to new areas, like an area called DeFi, decentralized finance. This is the ability to trade tokens, which are the units of value that move in these networks. Also, there's protocols of lending, protocols that would produce stable prices of these tokens, and all the different elements that one might imagine that have come to exist in the legacy financial markets are being mirrored in these new networks, but these networks are natively internet-based. So everything is incredibly quick, incredibly smooth. And yes, it's just getting started. And at times, it's a little bit like a Swiss cheese. There are problems. It's not all just completely without its issues. But when you look at the wider picture, you begin to see a new kind of financial internet appearing with, with all the different elements in terms of connectivity, in terms of service provision. But all of these elements are built on smart contracts, which take forward this idea of a distributed ledger, but codify the rules as to how people can interact with each other. So that's normally done by a centralized institution. You know, uh, an institution might decide, well, what kind of derivative markets can be made? It might decide, well, how much leverage can you use? And what these new platforms do is they sort of codify these rules into them so that everyone's on a level playing field. Everything is transparent and you can take control of your own financial destiny to a degree using these new roads and rails that are being made on this underlying blockchain technology. It's a, it's a little bit wordy way into describing it, but that's essentially the, the viewpoint that we come at from KR1. Let's take that viewpoint forward then. We're in March of 2021. You've made three investments already this month as we speak. What are the kind of companies you're investing in? I guess it would be good to just quickly preface the investment world in the crypto economy is incredibly quick because things become public very quick. Equity is much, much slower. And it used to be that in the early days, you know, we'd make an investment and a month later, it's on the public markets trading. That has great benefits and great difficulties as well that come with that. And I think we saw that in 2017. Things are longer now, a year, two years, three years for these products to come to market. But the, the space is moving so quickly. The innovation is so quick that when you're investing capital into the space, you have to be doing it quickly. If you get a successful project, you take what you out, what you put in, and you go again. Because basically what's happening is constant innovation. And a project that you invest in one year, two years later, is actually redundant because the technology has moved on so far that what they were building can now be spun up by a kid in his bedroom on a computer, which might have taken an entire year of 
pro PhD people to do previously. And so you're, you're constantly having to sort of keep up with where things are going if you want to invest on the very edge of the technology. So currently where our focus is at KL1, it started in 2016, mostly around Bitcoin and Ethereum and the token world that was appearing on Ethereum. Ethereum was a massive success and DeFi grew out of it. The NFT world grew out of it, which was another sort of part of the ecosystem. And it was a huge amount of experimentation that was basically around this smart contract invention. Ethereum is a massive victim of its own success because essentially it got so popular that it began to slow down and get very expensive. And it still is very expensive. And it's because it's the, the first iteration of what this technology can do. So now we have new platforms appearing that have taken the underlying structures of Ethereum and are now trying to scale it out so that you can have lots of different chains all doing sort of bespoke elements to whatever they're building, if they're building atomic trading or they're building, you know, lending protocols. And now we look at a protocol very closely. There's two of them, one called Cosmos and another one called Polkadot that have similar structures and potentially do the same thing. And that's basically creating a way of joining specific sovereign blockchains together to allow greater throughput, but also interoperability so that you can, you know, you might have a private Barclays Bank chain that's decided to start experimenting with a particular blockchain. And it might want to communicate with a public chain like Ethereum. What you need is you need a sort of central underlying infrastructure that allows these blockchains to talk to each other. And the main one that we're focusing on is, like I say, is Cosmos and Polkadot. So our recent investments that you speak to are new investments on what we call layer two. So if you can imagine Polkadot's this underlying infrastructure that allows chains to talk to each other, that spurred a huge amount of innovation of people building new kinds of blockchains on a suite of tools called Substrate, which allow them to talk to each other. And we're investing in these new products that are that, that projects that are building on that infrastructure. Best way to think of Polkadot in sort of layman's terms is imagine an, a, a currently something like Ethereum is a city trading within itself. And what Polkadot does is it allows cities to trade with other cities. It builds the roads between the cities or the countries, and that produces this liquidity potentially. And that's the view that we take. And you could look at it like it started with Bitcoin, moved to Ethereum, and then Ethereum has moved on to Polkadot. Let me pick up on one thing you said earlier, specifically about the speed of change and how fast things are moving. Was that not affected at all by the pandemic? Certainly, I think it absolutely was. I think Bitcoin is the bellwether of the space. It was the first mover. It's got the most liquidity and it's the onboarding crypto for the world. It's where, the, it's where everything begins. And then you get your interest peaked and you go down the, down the rabbit hole and you find lots of inst- interesting projects all the way down. In terms of the narrative for Bitcoin, it started with this sort of online cash payments narrative very quickly it became apparent that actually that it's not set up for that kind of level of transaction and what it actually begins to look far more like is digital gold and it you know in that sense i think that under the current circumstances watching all the world's governments grapple with basically economies shutting down entirely and having to prop up countries by printing money the world will naturally look to where they can place capital in a sense as a hedge against what could be coming down the line. Now, I'm not suggesting Bitcoin is the thing that people are looking at in that direction, but it is one of a range of options. And those who are more technically oriented, those who understand who's coming up through the 
those who are the younger who are coming up through the ranks who are thank you very, very much for that <laughs> who are very technologically savvy i mean i look at you know my my nieces and nephews their lives are mediated through the internet and when you have something that flows through the internet as freely as it does as a cryptocurrency and that's and it can start just as like you know non-fungible tokens you know crypto kitties all these these sort of artworks and and collectibles on the blockchain that might very much appeal to a younger age group but it it, it will move into into their finances and gradually that will that will sort of become part of what the future looks like and so I would say that those who who have that macro view and looking to the future, Bitcoin suddenly becomes very interesting as a place to put capital. Some with short-term views, obviously, but others with much, much longer views heading out into the future. And the pandemic and the global financial system as it is now has definitely brought that forward, I would say, by quite some way. And I suppose, just to wrap up, the one thing we can guarantee is there is an awful lot more change coming down the turnpike. I think it's ripples, isn't it? That we're going to be feeling the ripples from such a a global tremor as what we've just lived through and continue to live through. Those ripples will keep hitting us for, for many, many years to come. I completely agree. In that turmoil and in that change... I think you'll see the the power structures in the world, like governments and central banks, also having to adapt. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations about digital central bank currencies. I think everything is on the table now to experiment with in terms of technology to forge a path forward and keep humanity on, on the road to something other than what we've seen over the last year and a half. And I think cryptocurrencies will play a very large role in, in that roadmap going forward. Thank you very much, George McDonough, Managing Director and Co-Founder of KR1.